I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on the knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. All right, all right. We're back. Another episode. Woo, 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 woo. And... Frankly, I think we're both in a pretty good mood. Uh, we just had a little pregame, you know, powwow. I wonder where and, that was going. I just had a pregame yeah. as well. <laughs> I am feeling on top of the world, my friend. That's right. Well, it's good to see you, Brad. Uh, welcome to the listeners. Uh, thanks for being here with us. Um, and, well, just a quick how do you do, Brad? Yeah, I'm good. It's been, uh, been yeah, it's been good, since, you know, the, the amount of, Admiration and love since the last episode has been good. Always welcome to see my inbox just filling up like that. Uh, so right, keep man. it coming, listeners. Keep it coming. Um, yeah, and as as Flash just alluded to, we've uh, just had a, a brilliant uh, preamble to this. So I'm hoping we've not peaked before we've hit the record <laughs> button. Um, but I feel, I feel fairly confident we can still deliver. All right. Wow. Good stuff. Uh, well, then deliver away, my friend, on our, our first our first topic of the night. Well, I'm going to kick us off, and I, I probably should have asked you when we were in the preamble, but do you remember there was a film, I'm not sure, was it Minority Report? There was another film where basically they they can pre, pre-diagnose or uh, they can guess into the future and see if you're more likely to commit a crime of some sort. That was, that was Minority Report was one, but there was... Yeah. There was another Minority one. Report, uh, I think you might be thinking of Gattaca. Is this the one? This, this is one where they, they look at your DNA and they could say like, oh, he's predestined to be smart or they, or no, no, Gattaca was actually they tailor-made people. Like you could okay. designer babies basically. But like, so if you weren't, if your parents didn't have money to sort of make you good then you were in the shitty part. No, so that's not it. Part, I think part, we're thinking Minority Report. Part, well, part of me is thinking, was it one of the Avengers, like Captain America, where they basically had like the gunships set up and they basically... Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, was yes, that the one? Yes, yes. This was a new, uh, Captain America movie, I believe. Okay, so yeah. uh, this has got nothing to do with Captain America. Uh, yeah, yeah. But there's um, some recent... <laughs> well, way to start us off. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what I've done is I've opened up a doorway... And early listeners go, oh, I fucking love the Avengers. Captain yeah. America, count yeah. me in. Well, I'm sorry, you're in, you're involved now. Don't hit stop, yeah. keep listening. Um, <laughs> so there's a group of researchers in Duke University from the US that have been doing some studies in New Zealand. And basically they've been looking at um, children from about the age of three upwards. And they've been basically doing a series of brain tests, a series of uh, cognitive tests on these kids. Um, and they've been looking at things like language, uh, behavior, movement, cognitive skills. 
And what they've basically shown is they can predict um, those with low test scores when they're three will go on to commit crime. So what they've shown is 80% of those with low low brain test scores um, will have a criminal record at some point in the future. Huh. But I mean, this is New Zealand kids, so isn't that true of well, all yeah. of them? Well, yeah, that's the thing. So actually, <laughs> actually, this is a positive, and it's only 80%. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so they, they looked at... They were one of the prison colonies, right? Yeah. No, that was just Australia, my friend. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, sorry, sorry to any Kiwis listening. Disrespectful. I, no, no, no. Yeah. no totally different. Like we've got the Treaty of Watangi with New Zealand. That's a whole different story. Let's not not go there. Um, but no, I don't want my Commonwealth brothers to start shitting on Canada. So I take it all back. Well, you threw the first punch, my friend. That's right. Which you That's know, right. for a libertarian type organization, countries yourself. You want to right. be careful, you know. It's not as if you've got some decent submarines to go throwing punches with. You're not really <laughs> keeping that shit to yourself, my friend. Well, you know what? The day that New Zealand gets their shit together and starts to come across the ocean to my neck of the woods, I'll be ready. You say that now, but when they rock up on your doorstep <laughs> and perform the hacker, yeah, and the Canadians are all shitting we'll themselves and running to the Rockies, yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> we just wait till winter. They won't hack it. They'll just leave. <laughs> that is a face-off I would love to see. <laughs> Tribe of Maori on the beaches of Canada giving it the hacker. And just a row of Canadians with hockey sticks and pucks. <laughs> you know, take our lives, but you never take our freedoms. Yeah. <laughs> hockey. So anyway, back to it. So yeah, they've done some brain tests. Uh, starting at three-year-olds and then they followed the lives of more than a thousand kids through. And then those that basically had low test scores in language, movement, behavioural, cognitive skills at three years old, they went on to account for um, more than 80% of crimes, but also they required 78% of prescriptions, so they were less healthy going forward. And they also received, um, and I think this 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 for me is actually a major statistic, 60, 66% of social welfare payments went to those that scored really lowly on those tests. Hmm. So, you know, there's the adage for nature or nurture, but they, they basically said that, you know, it, a lot of the environment that the kids are brought up in obviously has a, an impact. But then what they also... Yeah, that was going to be my yeah. one of my points. So, so yeah. then they then they did a separate analysis where actually what they did is they took children out. They had children from all walks of life. So what they did is they did a separate analysis where they took children out that were actually living below the poverty line and, okay. the, and then ran the same analysis. Um, but they actually found that the same or similar proportion of middle class kids um, had exactly the same type of statistics at the end. So, so the same the same scores on the tests were indicative of the same the same outcomes, like yeah, the same outcomes. Yeah, okay, weird. Yeah. So, well, well, I don't know. Is it that weird? I mean, I when I when you were first explaining this, like all I could think of was, wow, of course, environment. You know, like it's. Kids that will score lower are coming from environments where they're not, you know, getting the attention from the parents, you know, helping with the homework. And then that, you know, that evening cohesiveness as a family, all these kind of things. Right. But I mean, even when you you remove low income, does that necessarily mean that you're removing poor social condition like poor family conditions i mean i'm sure there's a lot of low-income families that are very yeah you know they're still good but what do you do i mean that is let's be honest that's sort of a, a line that you can draw as a researcher to 
you're making a bit of a bit of an assumption, but I think it's a fair one to make. Um, I was the other thing I was thinking is what like what specifically? I wonder if there was because you said it was an array of tests, right? Like, yeah. So they you know, physical, uh, locomotion, cognitive, all these kind of things. I wonder if there was one particular one in there too that was sort of more indicative than the others um whether it's speech or you know reading or something like this you know what that would sort of lead to that improving overall well and, and, yeah and that's what they, then you could really target an intervention right well and that's what that's what part of it. so they basically followed them for um around about 40 years so it's you know it's been a long Long study, but what they're saying is, can they use this to shape now, like nursery Because I think the big thing is, oh, well, it's fine. We'll just improve schools, and that'll be fine. But of course, this is preschool. So, what they're now saying is, can they fine tune nursery education and, and preschool education to try and improve that? So, and I think part of that taps into what you've just alluded to: is is there one port? You know, do you tap into all of it, or do you try to improve language skills, and maybe that then has the knock-on effect, mm-hmm. has the biggest impact? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I think the two shocking things for me was firstly the age, because mm-hmm. you know I, I, I was always told it. You know, and I have a six-year-old daughter, but I was always told it's it's what you do with them at home that makes the bigger impact at that age than what they do at school. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. this would seem to fly in the face of that. That yes, that's true to a degree, but you should be start also starting earlier rather than just relying on the school. And then I think the second important part is the the class part. If you're taking out what I think some people would perceive, well, if you take out the, the kids in the lower classes below the poverty line, then, you know, that should improve, but it's it's not. So is that indicative of actually the middle classes are less attentive at home because they rely on the schools? Maybe their kids go to better schools and they, they're relying on that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, some interesting interesting points there. But, you know, but fairly, it's not as if it's 50-50, you know, 80% of crime. That's a, mm-hmm. That's a fairly major step. That yeah, I, I I'd be interested to read the actual methodology of it and actually take it to um, uh, Teresa here, uh, the neuroscientist that I live with and am engaged to, the lovely Teresa, and, and just see what what she thinks of it as well, and maybe get some feedback because uh, yeah. I mean she works on development type type stuff and. Um, well, I'll, I'll, behavior of, of juveniles and how it will, goes on to affect you I'm later sure in I've, life. And, I'm not sure if I tweeted it. I know, but I tweeted not. But it was called the uh, Dunedin Longitudinal Study. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting, actually, to get her perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And, and my other thought, too, was like, what are, like, so you said that they're getting prescriptions later in life. Yeah. Where they account for a heavy amount of prescriptions. 78% of prescriptions, that, yeah. Is that like all prescriptions or are we talking or do they break it down? Because it would be interesting to see if it's it's for, you know, things like depression or other sorts of mental illness. And then it's like, well, maybe it's like you're you're really just picking up the signal of a of a predisposition to mental illness that is then going to lead you to, you know. Yeah, that's being excluded from society or not not performing in school and then thus you know, being alienated and, and the rest of it. So, because I mean, I, th- I think if you look at crime in general, like uh, it's often said, like, what are the, like, what are the causes of crime? You know, like what this is kind of alluding to, is it like a genetic thing? Like are some people just predisposed to be 
you know, deviant assholes or <laughs> is it an environment thing in that some people get left behind and then are forced into crime? Is it a social thing and that, you know, poor disenfranchised people have no other choice but to turn to crime and then once crime and gangs are in their neighborhoods, they're stuck in that cycle. I mean, in, in the U.S., I think it would be interesting to see some of these numbers as well because, I mean, like the whole institutionalized, once you get institutionalized, then you're screwed. So maybe these kids that they're looking at in this New Zealand study um, were the first ones to sort of run afoul of the system. Yeah. You know, and then once they're in the system, they never escape sort of thing. I it, I think of it, I think it would also, yeah, it'd be interesting to see sort of to track them as they go, you know. So you got the data point one at three years old and obviously they follow them, you said, for 40 years. But, you know, what is the what are the numbers of, you know, trouble at school or whatever when they're 10? Yeah. Or when they're 15 or, you know, when does, when do, when do they really start to, to deviate from the pack, you know, from the norm, as we'll say, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's also kind of, uh, kind of creepy in, 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 in the, in the sense of we all want to think, well, you, my path isn't determined. I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's not, my future's not set in stone. Just because I, you know, was a was poor in in school, I can you know, break everybody the can, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's the, that's like, the well, worrying thing, isn't it? Well, you score poorly. Well, fuck it, we're going to write you off. Yeah, uh, probably have yeah, to please yeah. clamp outside your door because we know by the age of forty, eight out of ten times means you're going to be the, the guilty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're the two out of ten that isn't, well, sorry, but it's more efficient to police this way. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting, but I know like, I mean, just having moved here to Europe and talking with people about the how the school system here works, and I don't know if the UK is the same, but in Germany, it seems like kids are really early sort of put into a track of like, you're going to go to university, you're going to go to trade school, or you're just, you know, not going to do either. Uh, and it seems like it's fairly early that they start separating um, kids into the different streams, into the different tracks. And f- for me as a, you know, North American Canadian, it, it, no, like that's almost unheard of. It's like, no, you, everybody does the same school and then you, everyone has the choice. We can all choose to do whatever we want as long as you have the grades, you know, but it's up to you. It's your and I wonder, like, there is a debate, you know, like as to both both systems, you know, like yeah. what, what what is better, and you know, something like this really does kind of sort of lean to the well. Maybe we can tell early, and well, maybe there is, and maybe it would be more efficient. It'd be less chaotic. It would be. I mean, now I'm now I'm starting to sound like uh, 1930s <laughs> fascists. <laughs> yes. Well, everyone's got their place, and that's their place. And we knew we knew we'd get rid of the Canadian in you eventually. You know, comes the fascist. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, but that's that's an interesting one because when I I remember my parents going to parents' evening when I was at junior school, so I would have been. What year was I in? I'd have been age nine, maybe 10, probably nine. Uh, and they came up parents' evening and the teacher basically said, I'm not supposed to say this, but, um, you know, Brad will go to university. Oh, I totally thought it would have been the other way around. Well, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it, came, it came as a shock to all members of the family. Um, 
But no, I remember, but I remember him really? saying... because he keeps lighting fires at home, and we're just not <laughs> sure. <laughs> not lighting fires to his farts, as we discussed earlier yeah. on. Um, was a, sorry, guys, that was, a, that was an earlier reference to some of the preamble that you missed. That's the sort of high brow that the listeners miss out on by not joining the podcast before we start recording. Yeah, well, maybe they'll get it if they stick to the end. Well, who knows? Who knows? There might be a little treat at the end for you guys. Um, but no, but I remember my parents coming home and saying, oh, you know, Mr... Mr. Kemble's name was a really nice teacher actually saying this, but he literally had to whisper it because that was a big no-no in the teaching world because they didn't want to, you know, force you one way or the other or put pressure on you um, mm-hmm. another way. And that's something I'm very conscious of that, you know, I this is a debate for another time, but I, I think we push too many people into university education, you know, and, and that isn't for everyone. Um so I, you know, I've always tried to keep it well. You know, it's it is down to free choice, as you said. You know, when you get to that age, if you want to go to university, you go to university. If you don't, then you don't. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's down to you. But that's a, yeah, that's a question I mean, for another time, maybe. But. Yeah, definitely. Well, so so it sounds like your model in the UK is a bit different than the than the German model. I think it's it's around like uh, middle school or high school that they really start separating them, uh, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I, don't, I guess there's probably uh, benefits to both to both systems, but I totally agree with you in that sense. In that it's like you don't want to. I don't think you want to push kids. I don't think you ever want to push them into forcing them into something that they don't want to do, or forcing that you know, like the brilliant documentary I think that was on Netflix uh, about. Uh, the parents that are like really hard on their kids in sports and they're like, it's, it's sad. It's sad yeah. for the kids, but it's, it's gold for comedy in terms of like schadenfreude of like watching another person just like explode. But anyway, yes. Uh, discussion for another time, perhaps. Um, and also like uh, the genetic component to that. When do they start taking this study and saying, well, we've, we've, we've looked at the gene, we know what the gene for disruptive behavior is, or if we know what the gene for schizophrenia is, then it's, you know, this is the whole debate that's been had before. And we'll, as we move technology forward and start doing more of these longitudinal studies um, and then trying to link them to genetic factors, you know, you might see more of this and a whole uproar over uh, whether we're, we are pre predetermined our, you know, our map is already laid out for us yeah. before we're even before we're even born. Uh, I know just to sort of maybe finish off this ramble because <laughs> I find it really interesting. Um, some of the work that my Teresa's colleagues uh, have done, where they actually show how you know your stress level as a father will determine different traits in the in the in the children. And predispose them to certain behaviors like maybe reacting negatively to stress or being more susceptible to PTSD, you know, things like this. And this is all before you've even thought about having kids. You've already imprinted this, you know, the effects of stress and whatnot in your DNA and thus in the DNA that you pass to your children, which then predisposes them. And then they get a whole other set of predispositions from the mother and that's not even what occurs to the mother during pregnancy, because then there's a whole level of, of things that can be heaped on. So it's a wonder that any of us are, you know, 
Not, uh, I mean, you're, you're just grabbing your beer now. Well, so it's a wonder that we're not all medicating. Yeah, <laughs> well, we just math, mass euthanasia at birth almost. That would be, but yeah, when do we start medicating? That's the, and what do we medicate wow. with? Well, I don't know. I think part of, part of me thinks that it's just like, well, people have been, we, now that we know all this stuff, people survived before us. So it's not like, you know. Yeah, but they lived in caves and, beat things over there yeah. with clubs. Or, yeah, or they lived in, you know, 17, 1800s London, just a mongrel mass of, you know, well, people If only we could all fighting. be that lucky. Yeah, yeah, that's right, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, There's a whole heap of factors that we're sort of just teasing apart now as to what's going to make you you and what's going to lead you to the things that... You know, and I, I personally like to think that you can break the mold and that you can break the, the stats and that you're not predetermined, but maybe that's just my wishful thinking. Well, know. no, you're, you, and you'll contribute to that. You know, look at you, you're <laughs> Canadian, but you're shit at hockey. So you've broken the mold. Well done. Well done, yeah. Flash. Yeah, you, yeah, you have been, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, I am shit at hockey. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you know what, though? The the good thing about hockey, and I've probably said this before, so bear with me. All you gotta, if you can skate and you can somewhat handle the puck, and you just try really, really hard, you can have an impact on the team. And that's one of the beautiful things about the sport that I absolutely love about it is there's a role for guys that just fucking try hard. You know, that's <laughs> you say that, effort. but I've seen Happy Gilmore. That guy's a trier. Yeah, he couldn't skate. He couldn't skate. Oh, that was point. his issue. That's a good point. He couldn't skate. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, you got to be able to skate. And skate, I can. My shot's not so good. My my stick handle's not so good. But I can skate. I can block shots. It's, you know, I got a use on the team, I must say. Anyway, uh, I divulge. Wow. Uh, divulge? Digress. Yeah. <laughs> and also divulge that I'm not very fucking good at hockey. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, uh, confessional hour, ladies yeah, and gents. Well, I know any of the, the the gentlemen from Where's My Glasses are probably screaming at their radios right now, as we already knew. He's terrible. <laughs> He's terrible. Um, anyway, moving on uh, to kind of, you know, we t- I, I mentioned a little bit uh, in my last rambling there about how you know, stress levels and whatnot in the father or the mother or whatever will predispose children to different um, mental illness, one being PTSD, uh, which is kind of a hot topic these days. It's another one of new things that we're just finding out that afflicts so many people and probably afflicted a lot of people um, back in years past. I mean, I can only imagine how many undiagnosed cases of PTSD were you know after the world after the world wars you know you watch some of these documentaries about uh world war one that that you know the anniversaries of which just were this year um 100th anniversary i think yeah yeah of this was this year battle of the somme 100th anniversary i think not the that's war. the one I'm, yeah that's the one i'm thinking yeah uh anyway People that couldn't sleep, you know, for years, for the rest of their lives. Well, there's lots you know, of guns just, going just, off. How can they sleep? Yeah. For the rest of their lives, post-war, you know, just totally tormented. Uh, and, you know, the 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 big epidemic of it with uh, veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq coming back. So 
it seems, I don't know if they talk about it much in the UK because you guys were in both Iraq and Afghanistan, I believe. Um, we also had a small role in World War One as well. Oh, what? Really? Yeah. yeah. You guys there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. okay, okay, okay. You probably wouldn't have seen us because we were near the front. <laughs> hey, we're not French. <laughs> yeah, we were there too. <laughs> Come on. Sorry to any French listeners out there. <laughs> but you know it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, See, I like the way that I just made that to you over Skype, whereas you said it. So the listeners are there going, that flash, the fucking. Oh, I know. I've, re- I've really been there. Well, they're chomping on their onions, get- riding bicycles. It's not re- not racist. That's a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, it's in in the U.S. It's a, it's a huge deal, and in Canada they talk about it too. I mean, so many veterans have been uh, you know left by the wayside and in, in, in committing suicide because they're really you know stuck with this post traumatic stress disorder PTSD. And one of the novel treatments that has just been approved for phase three uh, clinical trials in the U.S. is uh, MDMA. Get some yeah, mandy so, into them. That's what they need. Yeah, yeah. They well get to go done. clubbing as do well. You, do you like to party? Oh, but <laughs> that sounded a little bit dodgy the way you asked it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Put your clothes you, back what? on, Flash. I don't want to see this. <laughs> what sort of party are you yeah. expecting? Yeah, rave party. Ah. Uh, well, this, let's be clear because I in the, uh, what I was reading um, from the. Maps website, which is the multi, uh, what's it called now? Multi something. It was maps. Multidiscipline, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. So this is a big nonprofit um, that was started in the eighties. That's been um, really pushing for you know research into medical marijuana. Um, as you can guess from the title, all, all, all sorts of psychedelics, um, mushrooms, LSD, uh, but one that they've really been able to push forward, and like I said, they're now going to phase three trials, is uh, with MDMA. So basically, this is from the MAPS website, which it's a really neat uh, nonprofit, and I've heard the, the head of it, Rick Doblin, speak a few times uh, on various podcasts and stuff, and it's if you, if you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, I'd say listen to the guy and do a bit of reading because it, it, it does seem to really um, be maybe, helping people. Maybe take the MDMA when you're listening to the guy. Does that help as oh, well? That will definitely make you <laughs> definitely make you more uh, more into the research, we'll say. Um, but uh, this, well, to get back to my first point, uh, this is one of the things that they were that they were trying to trying to get out one of the messages they were trying to get out is distancing uh, themselves from the the street names which i can't i don't know what you called it mandy mandy yeah 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 i thought it was molly well it might be where you come from here. yeah i think it is where i come from okay. mandy molly anyway that's one of the ecstasy is the other one that's yeah. that's really well known um and they're just like they're basically plastering all over the website and stuff it's, it's not that this is like, you know, ecstasy when it came out was supposed to be the pure form of MDMA. It's since now the common ecstasy is cut with all sorts of other things and yada, 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 different discussion. But uh, the point being is that there is this, obviously a stigma around 
psychedelics and drugs in general. Um, but this is something that like seems to really be showing, you know, promising uh, effects. I think it was, they said 83% in their phase two study. So 83% of patients no longer met criteria for PTSD after uh, receiving the treatment. Um, and then those that were given the placebo first, so they were in the first half where they got the placebo, and then in the second half of the trial, um, it switches. So across the studies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if they got the placebo first and then received the drug, there was significant improvement in their scores, their rating of um, PTSD syndromes. And then in those that they were able to follow up with, uh, they found that the benefits um, were maintained for on average three and a half years. So the wow. way that the study, yeah, the way that the study works um, or the way that the therapy works is basically it's not just give them drug, send them to a rave. <laughs> there you go. Everything's fine. Um <laughs> Because that might actually cause PTSD. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, and wasn't the study mainly for victims of sexual abuse? So I imagine if you gave them a drug and then just sent them to a rave, chances are they're going to come out of that <laughs> with the worsening of symptoms. Yeah. For various I don't reasons. know if it was. I don't know if it was just victims of sexual abuse. That's definitely one of the cases or one of the the groups, victim groups or no, patient groups. Um, but I mean like veterans, um, even just like physical assault, you know, these kind of things, um, anything where you can get PTSD. Um, but it's, it's, they use the MDMA in conjunction with a cognitive behavioral therapy. So they're, they are there with a the therapist. Um, I think in some cases they're there with the sort of the MDMA trained therapist. And in some of the, the interviews that I've heard this Rick Doblin fellow talk about, he's like, a lot of the times the MDMA, you know, people, the personnel that are sort of administering it, they're kind of just there, you, you know, like they're not doing a whole lot. The patient themselves is sort of reflecting and um, working through these, these harmful memories or uh, emotions and stuff. And it's the drug that allows them to do that. Uh, you know, it, it, it puts them in a state where they're more able to confront them. Uh, and then they also have some evidence about it releasing different neurotransmitters that are known to um, occur during trust and bonding between mammals. So you might actually, you know, feel a stronger trust and bond with the, with the therapist and be more able to open up and confront things and move on. So, I mean, in reality, I was, it was, reading one um, article by a doctor that, that does this. And he was saying, we don't really know how any psychotherapy or, you know, psychopharmaceutical really works on that level. Like we know that it works and we can tell you the neurotransmitters and stuff, but what it's actually doing for the patient, you know, their consciousness and their yeah. mind and the way they view the world, no one really knows that's within the person, right? But it's a promising it's a promising study and the FDA just approved them to go to phase three. So within a couple of years, MDMA may be a prescribed therapy for PTSD. And the other really great thing about it and about most psychedelics um, that have been shown to have uh, positive effects for mental disorder or anxiety, stress, you know, like any anything that they've really looked at is that it's not you take it every day. This isn't like an antidepressant where you, you're 
you're given it and you're on it for life or you have to keep changing it or whatever. Right. It's not just a band-aid. Like this is actually a way to, for, to get people to move past so that they don't need to continuously okay, take that's it. That's good. And, you know? Yeah, that would be the worry that is there then an addiction piece, but... But psychedelics, and and there's not really a lot of research on on psychedelic drugs, MDMA, I'm not so familiar with, but like mushrooms, LSD, there's not really addiction with them. Marijuana, you know, like there's not the the same. There's always the question, is is it physiological or psychological, isn't it? That's the two types of addiction. And it it seems that in in psychedelics, it's it's a psychological dependence, but... And, and and all of these researchers, I'm sure, will tell you that it's like, you know, Rick Doblin, the, the MAPS guy, he kind of doesn't so much um, condone recreational use. I mean, I think he does sort of condone it, but it's like, again, set and setting, you know, wh- why are you doing it? Um, what is, is, are you running away from something or are you like at a concert having a good time, you know? And he's like, the people that take it at a concert and have a good time, like, they're still, that's cool, fine, whatever. Most of those people that do that aren't in any, you know, danger, really, unless they have a, you know, quote, unquote, bad trip. But um, he's saying that, you know, there's still benefits. There still can be positive benefits to that if people are open to the experience and open to understanding where these things will take them. And I think that's the thing that we're starting to realize and these studies are starting to show is that they do have, you know, like they, they change your perception, obviously it's a, it's a drug. Um, but it can facilitate in sort of, um, mental growth, I guess, if you want to put it that way, you know, like they always try to avoid the old, uh, Timothy Leary and, and, and sixties sort of terms, the, consciousness expanding and 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 and, 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 but this is the stigma right and i mean and and that is all true but is that a bad thing you know if done in the context of and i mean the really ardent people like uh researchers that say that are really against all recreational use will say that this should only be done uh, in the presence of a a therapist or you know like a spiritual leader whether it's your priest or or whoever you go to your rabbi whatever you know um but i i I don't know it's well it's funny because when you when you first mentioned the story so i i went to quickly look it up because i thought you know i'd I'd seen glimpse of it on the news i thought oh that's quite interesting and then um have you looked into the author at all rick doblin at all I uh, just heard him a little bit. So, so I just looked up. So, in the in the article I found, there's a, a great, great quote. So it says, "Maps was founded in 1986 by Rick Doblin, then a trainee therapist, but now an effervescent 62 year old who has dedicated his life to studying the medical uses of psychedelic drugs, including magic mushrooms and marijuana." So when I first read that, I was like, "Yeah, the guy is a fucking hippie." Yeah, he's yeah. dedicated his life to studying medical uses. Yeah, in a field, fucking yeah, having a, a joint. But then you you click through and it it goes to him and it's funny that you mentioned um, about Tim Lewis' experiment. So actually, as part of his undergrad, he actually did a um, a follow up study to Tim Leary's Concord Prison experiment as part right. of his undergrad. Um, but yeah, just reading reading about it now. So he's the founder executive of the Maps. Um, uh, his dissertation for his PhD was on the regulation of medical uses of psychedelics. 
mm-hmm. uh, marijuana. His master's thesis is on the survey uh, of oncologists about smoked marijuana versus oral THC pills in mm-hmm. nausea control for cancer patients. And his undergraduate thesis um, was a 25-year follow-up to the classic Good Friday experiment, which evaluated the potential of psychedelic drugs to catalyze religious experience. So you read that, it's like, when we talked about earlier about going to university for whatever reason, this is a guy <laughs> that went, fuck it, I'm going to university and not only going to take drugs, I'm going to learn about them. Because it doesn't say this here, and if there are any lawyers listening, I'm surmising, it's pure me just surmising, there's no proof in this. I'm guessing he may have experimented with drugs himself at some point. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. If he didn't, I apologise. You know, it's no stir. But it just seems a little bit of undergrad thesis, master's thesis, PhD. You've got a common theme there, uh, my friend. A lot of research. So he's dedicated to his cause. I'll give him that. He knows knows what he's doing too. Uh, And I will definitely confirm that he's an unabashed user. Uh, talks oh, okay. about it in interviews and stuff, okay. and, and and this is one of the things. One one of his a, a recent podcast I was listening to is he was talking about this again, this stigma idea, and and how more and more people are you know quote coming out of the closet as people He's gay that, as well, as the psychedelic closet ah okay. as people Wrong that closet. use. Sorry, get back yeah. into the gay closet, Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no. See, he's married with three kids. Actually, I did read that. If you're, uh, it's if if you're struggling with that, you know, maybe take a mushroom trip and truly accept yourself and uh, come out of that. <laughs> come out of that closet. Oh, Flash! Please put a caveat around that. We, we've only just put the uh, two Brad for you lawyers back in a box after your earlier episode rants and accusations. Yeah, well. I'm uh, I uh, I there's something that I I firmly believe in as well to be honest uh, the the use of psychedelics I in my undergrad read a bunch of um uh, books on it and the yeah it, of the course guy? you did yeah you read books on it yeah oh I've dabbled I'll I'll be I'll admit it too I've dabbled so I've I've experienced as well sorry um, kids we'll have to put a PG rating out on this one I think <laughs> well. Yeah, I think I think there is there's um, there's it's an it's an interesting area, and um, I you know, read the book by uh, Albert Hoffman, the guy who discovered LSD. He he wrote a biography. Well, it's not really a biography, but it's about the discovery of LSD. I think it might be called LSD and Me, or I'm in, I might be making that up. Maybe I've fried my brain on drugs. I can't remember LSD um, and MDMA. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never done LSD. I haven't done that one. So, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it's, an, it's interesting. It's an interesting book. Um, and when you sort of de- delve into the history of why certain drugs are illegal, um, it's 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 quite interesting um, because there's really no science on back in the day when they made all these all these drugs illegal: marijuana, LSD, mushrooms. There's really no science on them. So no one really knew. It was just a sort of conservative administration. Some people will assert, um, claim that uh, it was basically Nixon's way of suppressing the uh, not only the civil rights movement, who were known to use marijuana, but also the anti-Vietnam movement, who were associated with marijuana and other drugs. And by making them all illegal, they were able to arrest them all and sort of quell dissent. So it look at me like it sounds conspiracy theory but it's i don't think it is and um there's 
documentation to back it up and now I even sound even more conspiracy theory when you say things like look it up there's documentation yeah, to okay. back it up yeah look at those but, trails of marijuana they're burning in the skies out of those airplanes those chemicals well that we know is true well obviously um, obviously it, you know it cloud, it, planes don't just make clouds well <laughs> the clouds are being made in the factories man yeah that's right um but no, I think it's that. If anything, uh, you know, like, and this is why I say whether you're for or against it, I'd say research it, look at it, have a read and see what you think. Because um, if anything, if you think that it's a terrible idea, you have to know, we have to know more about it. Um, and that's and that's the thing with, you know, whether it's marijuana legalization that's coming to lots of countries, uh, it seems it seems that's going to be the next big um drug law to be overturned is 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 marijuana um but 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 without by by just banning everything and saying no you can't even look at it you can't even study it you can't even tell me if it's bad or not then you know we'll never know and so people will continue to use in black markets uh getting it from black markets and we'll never know if it, it you know what the harmful effects are and whether there actually is uses for it um or how to mitigate harmful effects uh these kind of things so i, I personally think that you know legalization is obviously the way to go um but uh, I also, I think that psychedelic drugs can have a huge benefit for a lot of people. I mean, like I said, the Albert Hoffman book or look into maps, um, the MDMA research, the research on, on, on mushrooms is really fascinating in, in terms of uh, you know, helping people overcome impending uh, death. So critically, you know, terminally ill patients um, have been treated with... Uh, psilocybin the ingredients in mushrooms and you know overwhelming numbers of them uh are more calm and uh, reduce anxiety and all sorts of things so uh, there's something to it there's something to it you know people weren't uh the the first peoples of the earth uh weren't uh, using these things for no reasons i'll say wow but then there's as a caveat that to, to that there's also you know, uh, I, I'm not, I have to say, I'm not advocating for everyone to just go out and do all the drugs. <laughs> yeah. you, you've not, you've not bought shares in a drug dealer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be what it sounded like, but these things are, they're, you know, you should be treated with respect and caution. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, some people can't handle it. It's, it's not for everybody. Wow. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, if if anything, more research is 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 a good thing. Yeah, yeah and now, of course. Now you're sounding like a yeah. We definitely need more research. Definitely, yeah. I'm going to be doing some research at the weekend. In fact, that's always what you're saying there. Well, I don't know if you can count what I do research because I don't write anything down. Well, your, your supervisor would kind of say that to me as well. But, you know, one day you will get your PhD, Flash. You just have right. to write shit down. That's right. It's a big thing. It's a big thing, apparently. <laughs> anyway, um, we can move on from that because I feel like I've thoroughly talked around in circles uh, on it. And um, people now may have a different opinion of me, but... It's what you get for putting yourself out there. Yeah, yeah I think no, no, no. let's take us on. But hit the accelerator, Flash. Take us somewhere else. Where are we going next? 
<sighs> Set the coordinates for uh, more brain stuff. Oh, engage. Engage. Thank you. Thank you, number one. Um, so my next my next bit of um, interesting interesting science to ramble on about uh, also has to do with the brain. Um, but this is about. It's almost uh, like we plan this shit, isn't it? You, you could brain you, test MDMA <laughs> psychological therapy. One one might one might say yeah. Almost. Um, no, this so this one is going to be. Uh, we talked about drugs and, and brains, so now we're going to talk about machines and brains. We're going yes, to talk about brain computer interface. Who doesn't DCI. So the brain-computer interface, um, what got me onto this study is there's this uh, video, actually, that's been going around. It's a short little nine-minute nine documentary called Activating Memory. Okay. And what it is is they've been able to allow um, former musicians um, who are now you know, suffering debilitating uh, diseases of their muscles and their body, so like Lou Gehrig's disease or locked-in syndrome, something like this, basically a situation where the mind is still functioning, but the body is not. Um, so they're somewhat trapped and they have diff- you know, obvious, obvious difficulty communicating uh, with the outside world and, and can't play their instruments anymore. So where they once were able to create music and be creative and actually physically play the instrument, they can no longer do this. So these ingenious people, lovely people at the... Plymouth University Interdisciplinary Center for Computer Music Research. Um, well, that just which, rolls off the tongue. Right, right. And, and, you know, when I heard that title, I was like, oh, so it's like, you know, Diplo and Major Laser, and, you know, are the headmasters and they're just teaching everybody how to get the new, you know, dubstep beats and all that. But no, it's actually a serious thing. Um, <laughs> what they... This, this ain't no psychedelics maps thing we're talking about here. This is a real thing. Um, no, so what they what they did was they um, they wanted to you know uh, use a brain computer interface, which in this case, um, which it, it's that's basically anything that can read the brain waves um, and bring it to a computer, like sort of translate the brain waves um, to a computer, and then you can sort of. Um, it's the same communicate way. that way. It sounds like a cyborg to me. That's what I've got going in my yeah, head. Yeah, somewhat. And actually, let's get back to the brain-computer interfaces in a minute because I have some interesting stuff on that. But basically what they're doing is um, it's not like they can read minds, right? The, the goal of this was to allow these patients who are now you know, locked in or you know, unable to physically perform the task. They wanted to get them... Uh, to be able to g- engage in the creative process of playing music and making music again. Um, and so it's not like they can really um, read minds or anything like this. It's right. not you put the cap on and then instantly the computer knows exactly what you're thinking. But what they can do is they can, and this is a quote from one of the, one of the PhD students working on it, is they actually use brainwaves to generate control, especially when using visual stimuli. So the way that it works... Wait, was that didn't make sense to you? <laughs> oh, visual stimuli? <laughs> it's taking control of visual stimuli. So basically it sounds like you're roofing somebody and they're making a porno with them. That's that's what I had in my head. But that's detracting from the science. <laughs> but I you, 
are the only one that thought that way. So, well, I, we're going to put this out to a Twitter poll, and, and I think you're fine. I'm not the only one. I would, I would, in my defence, argue that I've had quite a lot of beer before we recorded tonight, mm. Mm. and it shows. And it shows <laughs> the best is um, yet to come. Yeah. No. So, if if I can get back to the seriousness of this, oh for God's um, sake, you and your seriousness. <laughs> basically what they've been able to do uh, is they can give these um, people a, a selection of a couple bars of music and the one that they look at um, gets recorded you know they record the brain waves coming from the visual cortex so they can tell which one they're looking at and then that little stretch of, of music gets shown to the musician who then plays it in real time and they worked with a composer who basically came up with all these different, you know, small chunks, whatever it is, two bars, four bars of music that can be sort of interchanged in any way to create new pieces, unique pieces of music. And they then, you know, gave these people the array of choices. Um, and as the, the string quartet played, each musician that was physically playing the instrument was being directed by the patient um, in the in the wheelchair or you know that was incapacitated, um, and so not only were they communicating with the musician who was playing for them by proxy by selecting the next set of notes in real time, they were also in effect communicating with the other four individuals who were also uh, choosing the music because they're listening and reacting to the choice that you've made uh, for your player. Um, controlling the violin, the other ones, right. you know, directing the cello, this kind of thing. So it was like, it was really, really neat. And you could see, you know, these people that have very limited you know, ability to express. Some of them could still make vocal noises like laughing and stuff like that. But you could tell that they were just, you know, over the moon. They were just loving the fact that they could actually get back into a creative space and communicate with people through music. And uh, so, I mean, there's that, there's that, the feel good story of it, but it's also just sort of amazing, um, you know, use of the technology, the, the brain computer yeah. uh, interface. Um, so, and I, and I think it works in the same way in that they, they can present the, excuse me, with a keyboard, uh, and they can type out sentences. So one gentleman in the video was doing this. He was looked like he was looking at a keyboard on a screen and it was typing out and really you know he was he was able to say you know this was a really great experience i was so happy that i was able to participate and to hear him playing the music that i you know was was yeah. directing him to and that it was my choices and it was like they were jamming you know if you haven't can you, can you tweet out the link to that yeah i will definitely definitely yeah the little um the little documentary uh, video, like I said, is called Activating Memory. So, yeah, really, really neat little story. Um, and the, the, and the, the idea of the brain-computer interface is a fascinating one. Well, yeah. Because we, um, we've touched on in previous episodes the, uh, the, old, the old head transplant. It's a favorite. Right? It's a favorite, right? So the head transplant was, you know, the guy who's going to do it, our mad scientist friend, I can't remember his name, but uh, he, uh, you know, it's, it's for the same patients, you know, locked in sort of syndrome is one of the one of the ones he cites where it's like, well, you know, the body is failing, but the mind is good. So if we can just plop the head over onto the onto the fresh body, we'll be good. But 
the this this idea of you know translating the brain waves basically into you know readable script that can then you know direct whether it's a, a robotic arm or a virtual avatar or something like this is like you know what 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 would you rather go for you know would you rather you know sort of virtually interact with the world in a sense like through a proxy or uh go through a really what what i imagine is a quite uh intense uh, surgical procedure you think uh, you'd think it'd be up there you know it's probably yeah, more than just yeah. a day case operation yeah I'm right guessing. right yeah you're gonna you're gonna need a bit more than some tylenol threes and bed rest <laughs> to, to get over that one um because this is the thing, and and so this is another thing that I, I guess I'll tweet out um, a really interesting TED talk, and I was actually fortunate enough to see this guy speak live uh, back at the University of Lethbridge, um, but it's Dr. Miguel Nicolelis, Nicolelis, I think is how you say his name. Easy for you to say. He's a Brazilian guy. Yeah, he's a Brazilian guy, uh, works at Duke University, I think, at the moment. Um, you may have remembered or you may have seen uh, at the beginning of the opening kickoff of World Cup Brazil in 2014, was done by a paralyzed individual in a giant robot suit that he was controlling with his own brain. So it was like an oh. exoskeleton suit. Now, granted, like, so when I saw, then this was an, 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 all from the research of Miguel Nicolelis. Uh, when I saw him, it must have been oh, 2010 or something like this. And he was telling everybody, we're going to, we're going to do this exoskeleton guy's going to make the the kickoff, you know, he's going to have a robot suit. He's going to be paralyzed, but he can, his brain will be controlling the suit that then moves his legs for him. You know, like it's, it's what you would expect, like the yeah. Sigourney Robocop. Weaver and aliens. Yeah. yeah Robocop, whatever, this kind of thing. Right. Uh, now to be honest, the kick wasn't as far as i was hoping it was going to be like i keep what I, were you expecting out of the I galaxy was like, yeah i was i was expecting like a giant fucking robot like it's 209 pick, you know mm. yeah no it wasn't that but this guy if and, and i'll tweet out the ted talk but he basically gave the set is the same talk uh with a bit more depth um when i saw him but the way that he puts it the terms that he puts it it really kind of shows you um the fascinating thing about this um, brain computer interface technology because he, you know, he's talking about things of like, you know, expanding your sense of self, like the, and, and, and how the brain isn't really limited in the, in the, the things that it can use and be adapted to use. So to give you an idea uh, of what I'm talking about, I'll kind of walk you through some of the experiments that he did and got to where he was. And so they started with, um, a monkey. It's, it's always monkeys. Always. Yeah, um, uh, playing a game with a joystick in which there's um, a target randomly shows up on the screen, and the monkey then has to move the the joystick controller, which moves his cursor on the screen to cross the target. And once he does that, he gets a reward, right? right. So the monkey learns. The monkey learns to move the joystick, and you know the target appears. He moves to it, gets his resort reward. Target disappears and shows up at a random spot. And the monkey was actually before they, 
as it started doing this this thing, um, it would be you could see it moving the cursor around, sort of in anticipation to where the thing was going. Like it was like a human, like it was it really was trying to guess where it was going to be. Yeah. Like, oh, if it was you know, over here, and then it would, and it got really really good at it. And the whole time there have you know the cap or whatever it is on the monkey's brain that's gathering all the data that's coming out of the monkey's brain and then interpreting it so that they can you know understand that when the brain is saying this when these waves are coming out this is the movement he's doing that kind of thing they were eventually able to take away the joystick so the monkey no longer had to physically grab the the joystick and move it he could let go and do it just with his mind. No. So was, yes, yes, yes. This was in 2001 as well. So, And he's got video of it. It's great. So you see, but basically what you're seeing, and this is how he puts it, is the mind incorporating a new limb, basically. So the monkey still has full control of all its other limbs, four, five when you include the tail. So the monkey can be scratching his back with both his hands, you know, eating, and with his mind still controlling the cursor that's on the screen. And so you see the cursor moving in the video. And then you see the joystick apparatus that they have that's now he's no longer holding yeah. moving in real time. It's like like a ghost is moving it, you know, and the thing going. So this is like this, this is basically just showing that, you know, the brain is flexible enough to incorporate a new sense, I think a new tool, a new limb, if you have it. Yeah, so we're not limited to the physical body, as so, he puts it. Like you can expand your 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 sense of self outside of the body, and it's not that weird for the brain. They had a um, well, I guess it's the re- brain just doing what it does, isn't it? The brain is sending yeah, controls exactly. to anything else. So it's is it yeah the is it the fire is it the film Firefox with Clint Eastwood where he's a fighter pilot, but it's flown <laughs> by the mind. It's like a really I old film, know. but it's yeah similar to that concept of you know. By the the time the brain sends instructions down to your arm and the arm controls where the plane's going, if the brain can just tap into the the plane directly, then it's a lot, lot quicker. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so, and that was, so they did that in like 2001, 2002, so 14 years ago. So since then, they've been, you know, expanding this. Obviously, this is the goal of this guy's research is to do this. The game's probably in high definition now. Well, what they did next was they uh, they created a, a virtual uh, avatar for the okay. for the monkey that the monkey could control, and, and they were also able to, in virtual space, um, create feedback coming back to the monkey, so that the monkey could distinguish texture in virtual space. Um, so this is kind of a so weird, now we're in total recall type areas almost basically yeah it's like total VR so they were able to so imagine a computer screen with three circles on it mm-hmm. uh, and the monkey in digital space so again he's not physically moving anything but he's been trained to you know see the screen and move the monkey on the screen with his mind so he's controlling the you know, 3D arm that comes across the screen and across the three circles that are present on his screen. And when he moves his digital arm over each of those circles, there's a certain electrical feedback that goes back into his brain through the brain-computer interface, which allows him to distinguish some kind of a, you know, difference between those three circles. Right. And then they could train him to find the right circle, right? So he would wave the virtual hand over circle one. No, that's not the right feedback. 
go over circle two. That's not the right feedback. Go over circle three. There it is, right? And then the same thing, it would disappear and the circles would appear in different spots, totally random. And he was able to correctly find it each one. So now we're talking about totally liberating the mind from the body and giving it a new virtual body, which is part of the, the head transplant thing where they were talking about, this is how we're going to train people to have their new body is do it in virtual space. But we could be, we could, we could skip the physical body altogether because this is the next mind blowing thing that this guy did was they then had a monkey on a treadmill controlling a robot that was across the world. So they were in Duke. The robot was in Japan. The monkey could see video of the robot that it was controlling uh, in front of him. And it would, his thoughts, his, you know, based on his direction, the robot would get up and start walking. And if the monkey would like, could get the, the robot to walk with his mind, he got his reward. And this robot started walking in a lab in Japan while the monkey's brain controlling it was in Duke University. No way. And the signal, because they were able to use uh, military uh, lines of communication that are a lot faster than domestic lines, the signal from the monkey brain to the robot was actually faster than it would take the signal to go from the monkey's own brain to its own leg. So we're talking, you know, total, total liberation of the brain from, from the physical body. Uh, and he's got some brilliant quotes on it, like the way that he describes it. I just love the way he describes it. And it's like, now the sense of self extends um, not just to the edge of your epidermis, but to whatever device that the mind controls. You know, so you, you're, you're now you know, an eight limbed creature, you know, you know, because yeah. again, You're, like we're you said, all octopuses. Yeah. Well, the, and, and like, it's like you said, this is the brain doing what it does. And yeah. they, they, they had another, he had another slide in his presentation where they basically showed that it's like, it's, yeah, it's no different. Like the monkey, once it figures out that, Oh, I'm doing that. Like I'm controlling that. It's just boom. It's just incorporated into it. And then this is a really freaky one that he showed it. I don't believe it's in the Ted talk that I'll tweet, but it was in his presentation that I saw. And he was like, okay, so this is all movement, right? Like this is all limbs. This is all tactile stuff. You could do an arm. And actually, I mean, there's the current research on prosthetic limbs going on right now is showing the same thing. Like you can have a, a, a robot arm basically and control it with your mind. Um, so this is, this is all coming. This is all happening. We're all going to be cyborgs soon enough. But the interesting one that, and it's the last one I'll, I'll, I'll touch on is, is it, so it's all movement. It's all tactile stuff, right? What about giving an animal or somebody a completely new sense that it's never had before? And what they were able to do. Much like the orgasm for a woman. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant, Brad. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, no, but <laughs> close. <laughs> That's what they all say. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what they, what they did was they put an infrared sensor on a rat. So they plugged it into his brain, you know, and, uh, it poked out the top of his head and he was able to scan a room, you know, to, to link up, you know, when his infrared sensor found the source of infrared radiation coming off, it would send the signal into his brain and he would, you know, be able to move toward it and get the reward. 
And so they basically showed that the brain is, you know, capable of incorporating a sense that it's not even, you know, evolved to have. You know, we know like snakes and some other things have infrared, you know, receptors, but they basically just gave a rat an infrared receptor. So we're talking like you could give, you know, people this the the ability to see spectrums of color that we weren't able to see or you know all these other you know different things now why would you do that i don't i don't really know at no, the moment but, but okay but i think it's, I, it's I, a bit of a mind fuck isn't it i'm going to i'm going to throw this out as a new new feature for the end of the year so we've already got predictions i think i should think we should have a countdown of the episodes for the end of the year for like the top 10 or so items because i think this is a fucking contender for number 1 yeah it could be I thought you were going to say a countdown until we actually see all these crazy things that we talk well, about. Well, no, because... That could know, take a while. Yeah, <laughs> you, you and I are mere mortals, you know, until we become cyborgs, obviously. Um, yeah. So we may not last long. But yeah, we should do a, a countdown of the stories because I think that would be up there. Up there with yeah. head transplants, definitely. Well, but, but this is the thing is that, like, this guy has been doing this for the last 10 years. You know, like, everything that I've talked about was... is 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 at least six years old that he's done. So, you know, where are, where are we now? You know, except for the, the music thing, the music thing was a new one, but when you, when you look at some of these, uh, you know, robot controlled things that he's been doing with, with the primate research, it's like, you know, why don't we have, you know, better cyborg arms yeah. at the moment? And I guess it's a bit more complicated than that, you know, obviously, but it's well on his way, you know, and I, I, I I know that recently they have shown, you know, like if you go to your popular science magazines or websites or whatever, you'll see stuff on prosthetic limbs guaranteed. Uh, and that it was, yeah, I think it was just this year too, where they were able to, yeah, like have someone finally control one uh, with their, you know, just using the mind with no. Um, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's on its way. And then, and then begs the question, how many of us want to get robot legs just for the fuck of it? And the answer is uh, this guy. Uh, you don't want robot legs? No, I don't want robot legs. I'll stick with what I got. Thanks. In, unless yeah, well, you know, once the knees start fading, if you know, if the option is well, I have a knee replacement or have a robot leg, then well, fuck yeah, I'm having the robot leg. But yeah, dude, why not just get the robot legs now? Well, well, because I've got know. two perfectly functioning normal legs. I'm not Oscar Pistorius. I've got normal legs at the moment. I'm good. Are you? Can you dunk? Yeah, I can. No way. Yes way. Real, on, on a on a regulation size uh, basketball net. We're talking basketball. You know that, right? The slam oh, basketball. Dunk. <laughs> I thought you meant a bit of dunking. I was like, yeah, I can dunk. Um, yeah, no, I can't. I can't do that. Although oh, I, I said that I did do it the other day, but I was in the trampoline park. But I yeah. can't. I can't. <laughs> right, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it's the same as having robot legs. It's kind of cheating, so yeah, yeah, kind of that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take. So you, you, we mentioned top tens and that, or I, I mentioned top ten. So I don't know if it's the same in Canada. Um, so you have the, like you know the top ten singles of the week, music singles of the week, whatever. That's always a big mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this year, Physics World, uh, which is a magazine, by the way, has released the top ten uh, physics. Um, Findings of the year. It's you know basically the top ten, top ten science awards for the year in the world of physics, um, physical advances. That's that's what they called them. 
Man, I'd love to, I'd love to be at that awards gala eh, with all those with all those nerds. Well, and that's that's <laughs> the thing. you know you and I the last couple of weeks we've touched on physics. We need a physicist on board because you and I both seem to love it. We haven't got a fucking clue what we're doing. But it's true. Uh, in no particular order, and I haven't got the, the entire top ten. But some of the things they found were um, detection of a new planet around one of our nearest stars in the solar system. So that that got into the top ten. That's a fairly, that's in that's in the physics category. Astrophysics, yeah, of course. Okay, I guess so. Yeah. What, what else would you put it in? Chemistry? No. Astronomy? Yeah, which is a branch of physics. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, number one... I always thought it was its own thing. Space science, you know? Why, well, it should be. This is, this is why I'm not a physicist and wow. need clarification on these things. <laughs> space science. It's like space science. No, science of space, yeah. yeah. Um, number one was uh, gravitational waves. Right, um, the detection of gravitational waves. I remember that being yeah. a, a big thing. Yeah, and that was actually early, early on in the year. So, but that that was number one. Um, but the one that really uh, caught my attention um, was Schrodinger's cat. Ah, the famous cat. Yeah, the famous, the famous cat. So, uh, is it dead? Is it alive? Yeah. You only know until you open, open the, the box. box. Yeah, it's a bit then, like a game show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, it, and then the idea is that in in the act of opening the box, you you set the, yeah. the 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 thing in motion. It it exists in both states until you observe it. Yeah, and, and I, then it's either yeah, one yeah, or the yeah. other. So what I really love about Schrodinger's cat is I am, as we've already <laughs> discovered on the show, I am you not hate a physicist. Cats. No, oh. I love cats, yeah. um, but I'm not a physicist, and I'm certainly not a quantum physicist. But whenever you go somewhere and people start going, "Oh, physics," you go, "Well, yeah, I can basically explain the the process of quantum physics." Like, oh, really? How do you do that? And it's like Schrodinger's cat. People out there remember. It's not an easy word to remember. Schrodinger. It's not like Smith it's, or James. It's a name. Yeah, it's a name. Yeah. Schrodinger's cat. And basically, the the idea of Schrodinger's cat, as Flash alluded to, is it's a bit of a paradox. So you have a cat that's inside of a box. Um, with some radioactive material, if I remember correctly. And you don't know until you open that box, is the cat alive or dead? And the basis of quantum physics is that actually you can have two states at the same time, and you know, and then you it's not until you look that you find which state it's in. So that's at a very high level quantum physics. You throw that at a dinner party, people think you are Albert fucking Einstein. By the mm-hmm. end of the night, by the time I'm slurring, they think I'm Stephen Hawking, but that's that's something else. Um, <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, comedy, I'm here. So it's called quantum superposition is, is what it's called. But actually what they showed this year is there was a US-French team that basically decided to try and prove Schrodinger's cat. Um, so they created two... Two Wait, what were they trying to, what were they trying to prove so the paradox of having both both states at the same time in theory so that it wasn't a real cat let me make that clear to the listeners but having two states so can you have in the case of the cat alive and dead at the same time so what they did is they created uh, what the box was and the box was actually um, created from microwave microwave cavities um, and the cats were basically represented by uh, Photons, so very similar to cats. You tickle them, they purr, that sort of thing. Yeah, there are videos all over the internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what the internet was invented for. Um, but actually, the team did show that. But what they also showed was the twist. Twist was, and I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail, mainly because I don't understand it. But not only could they exist in two states at the same time, they actually discovered that the boxes 
could be in two locations at the same time. Weird. <laughs> so the cat within the box could be dead or alive. You don't know. Mm-hmm. But actually, is the box really in front of you or is it 10,000 miles away from you? And what they showed you is actually, don't you don't know. It could actually be in both locations at the same time. Yeah. And the cat inside of those See, boxes are such... could be at the same time. And that's why so they just gonna... added another layer of... Yeah, another layer of complexity, yeah. which is something I'm going to memorize for the next dinner party. Because as I said, Schrodinger's cat, it's never got me laid, I've got to be honest. But it has, you know, <laughs> it's, it's wired people at dinner parties. But yeah. now I'm going to throw it, well, there's Schrodinger's cat, but there's also Schrodinger's boxes that could be yeah. miles yeah. apart. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, that, that was up there in, in the top 10. So Physics World, ladies and gents, so I'll encourage you all to go out and have a look at the top 10. Um, it just uh, it just leaves me with so many. This is the problem with these physics things. And like you said, why we need a physics person, uh, a physicist, I believe you call them. Uh, on the on the program because it's like you know it's like i I read these things or you explain that you 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 tell me it's like well the box can be here it's just like i I just like but how how do they know do they see the box do they what what is the box it's microwave cavities what's that i thought i was like honestly no word of a lie i was picturing a microwave like a like a box that your microwave would come in that you when you just bought it and I was like oh and then they put something in it and then what and it's it's but no that's not what it is obviously at all uh, but I I just wish that I could I wish that I could understand Brad I wish that I could yeah and I, I feel like I read it and I read it and I read it and I'm so close to understanding but yet so far yeah I can't get is my that the paradox it. do I understand maybe well, I do understand I just don't think I understand. It's, Fucking, it's ridiculous, and I and it, yeah, I think maybe maybe having a physicist would help. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe well, it would yeah, just confuse it. us even more. Yeah, exactly. They, we'd have to have uh, our own show just for them to confuse the listeners, and then have yeah. you and I basically doing what we do now. So actually, let's not get a physicist. Fuck the physicist. We'll do it ourselves. <laughs> I think it it, it kind of comes down to, and I mean, this is I guess we're we're, we're seeing uh, in our uh, uh, public debates of issues that uh you know don't take a a fact isn't a fact and uh you know don't believe everything that that the scientists will tell you you know uh so but it's like this is honestly how i feel i have to approach physics it's just like they say it and i'm just like okay you you, you must have you must have done something <laughs> to, to tell it and it's always like you say it always makes for like great yeah yeah fucking stories you everyone know? wants to know it but yeah so that's Schrodinger's cat, basically, in a nutshell, kind of. Mm-hmm. I've not really explained it that well. But as I said, throw it out at a dinner party. People will think you're uh, the next Albert Einstein. They'll love you for it. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on the crowd, but uh, <laughs> you can try it. You well, can yeah. try it. Obviously, if there are a bunch of malattended three-year-olds that were abused <laughs> at that age, then they're not going to understand a word you are. And in fact, they've probably nicked your wallet by that stage already. So yeah, yeah. or stabbed late. you. Who knows? Um, okay, well, we, we've been going for a bit here now. Uh, do you want to touch on one more um, physics story? Before yeah, let's we... do it. We've, we've been rolling this one over for a while, so. All right, let's do it. Um, so one of the uh, interesting, this is, I guess, more of an applied physics, so we won't go with the kooky uh, theoretical stuff. Um, this actually goes sort of exactly in the opposite. Now, 
the uh, the topic, not to keep you waiting any longer, is. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I'm sorry, Cold. we're out of time. We gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you, Brad. Damn you. Um, Cold Fusion. Woo! Yes! We've all heard of it. It's gonna be the savior of uh, energy uh, for, you know, generations. And it's gonna change the way that we, that we live. And we've heard that for decades uh, and have seen no results whatsoever. And um, so to, to delve just a little bit into the into what cold fusion is, um, it's basically the opposite of um, the nuclear bomb. So the nuclear bomb works by uh, splitting atoms. Um, cold fusion derives energy from smushing atoms together and making them, you know, into one. Um, hence fusion. Uh, but it's really really hard to do. So. It it re- it releases way more energy than a nuclear bomb does, so way more than splitting atoms or a nuclear reactor, for that matter, is run on uh, the heat from the splitting of atoms. Yeah. Um, if you can actually smush them together, it actually releases more energy. So this is what's going on in the sun. This is what makes the sun, you know, radiate all sorts of heat and fire and all yeah. radiation and the rest of it. Um. So it's a really tricky process. You need a lot of uh, uh, compression. You need to compress. Uh, you need high pressure is the word I'm looking for. Um, a lot of heat, uh, these kind of things. So it's a really uh, hard uh, conditions to create. You, we've been able to create them in little spurts, but never sustain it. Um, and so physicists, this has been, you know, like a, a dream of physicists, obviously, to to crack this nut. Um one for the energy uh, that it would produce you basically could produce a, an unlimited amount of energy with with very little input uh, if you could get a, a fusion reaction to sustainable and keep it going um and then there's also the quirky physics behind it that the that the physics dorks really love and so they that's kind of how they've always been approaching it you know is the the academic you know physics nerds um, have been building these huge uh, reactors and um, containment fields to try and create this fusion reaction and understand what's going on in you know with the end game of oh yeah well once we figure it out then we can recreate it blah 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 and, and and then there you go but they've never been able to do it and it's extremely costly because you have to build these huge you know apparatus to contain the thing house the thing and you don't even know if it works so they spend all this time and all this money building these giant research things uh, and they get, you know, not a whole lot, not a whole lot of use out of it because A, it's either obsolete by the time they get there or it just doesn't work. The path that they thought they could go down to create a sustained fusion reaction doesn't work um, because there's a lot of different theories or I guess it's not really theories, but ideas on how to build the machine that would allow you to house and create the fusion reaction. So there's a, bu- a bunch of different pathways to get to the same end goal. Um, so what the, uh, I guess we'll still call them dorks, but they're more like, you know, applied physics dorks are saying, you know, to hell with the understanding the whole theory of it and everything like that. We don't really care. You know, we just want to get a working prototype of a fusion reactor uh, that we can then scale up to produce the energy that the world so desperately wants and needs. 
So they're kind of going about it um, not scientifically in a different way. They're still using one of these many, you know, pre-theorized pathways to make the machine that will, you know, do the fusion reaction. But they're coming at it from the angle of this is all applied. This is just we just again, we don't really care how it works or what the finer details of the actual physics is. We just want to do something that works. So they're, you know, creating smaller prototypes and then trying to scale up. I mean, some of these, quote, smaller prototypes are still like warehouse size machines with lasers firing in at the atoms that they're trying to get to go together and, you know, concentrated pressure. And then you add some laser plasma in there to create this whole reaction and get it going and then harness that energy. But whereas like some of these big research, you know, reactors will have a fire, have a fusion firing event, like maybe once a year or whatever. Some of these smaller ones um, uh, on, the, on the business side of it are, you know, they can do like 10 to 20 a day, uh, you know, and then get the data and then be like, OK, what worked? What didn't work? Let's try something yeah. else. And because they're not dealing with these mammoth, you know, um, multinational academic research groups all trying to work on this huge thing they're able to quickly change things out and you know try something else and then just rapidly move forward to actually designing a workable reactor and even if they don't get it like sustained like you know like the the physicist dream of like we just set it in motion and then we basically have a, a tiny sun on earth that is just perpetually giving yeah. out energy for you know for the rest of humanity it's like okay well if we can you know put in an initial burst and get one going for a while just enough that it offsets the cost of creating the initial burst plus provide energy for x amount of days or whatever you know, just to make it cost feasible uh then there you go then you have a, a brand new source of energy that's you know potentially cheaper and more powerful than some of the other renewable options that that you got out there so i just thought that was kind of interesting because it totally goes you know like you said this is highbrow theory stuff yeah. out there about it all and these guys are kind of saying you know nuts to that let's just let's just get something that works here boys so uh, I kind of like that. I kind of like that approach. Thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, and, you know, who knows? They either create a workable fusion reactor or, you know, a lot of these places are based on the West Coast of North America. So maybe they cause a huge explosion that ruptures the San Andreas Fault and, you know, creates the disaster movie of uh, 2030. Uh, and, yes, I'm saying... Either is equally possible. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gents. That's what we're saying. So, uh, so be afraid. Start tweeting these guys. Oh, you're, you're gonna rip a hole in the time space and create a black hole and swallow us all in. And you physicists are always tampering with things you shouldn't. And well, we're not physicists, so we didn't fuck it up. That's what. That's right. That's right. That's how I get back here. So I'm just saying it's either going to be a giant explosion on the San Andreas Fault that knocks half of the continent into the ocean, or they create a superhero. Well, and the, the continent we'd be knocking would be North America, so we're not really losing much there. Okay, well, yeah, it could be a hey, win. My my home province of Alberta would have oceanfront property. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> we, we've never had that before. Start, start <laughs> buying now. Give me worth yeah. a fortune. Yeah. Now waves not coming over the Rocky Mountains. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. 
The new California is Alberta. That's right. That's right. Um, okay, so to before we 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 wrap up, uh, I've got a, a light-hearted story, which I think you know. I'm going to put us both in the both musicians category. You are far more of a musician than I ever have been or will be. Um, but there's a uh, study that's been conducted um, by a bunch of Australian scientists that basically have shown um, rock music will make you lose at lose. board games. <laughs> I was like, what, my hair? Well, uh, you know. well, well maybe if you do the Wayne's World thing too much, you know, yeah, the velocity yeah. of head rocking is going to kill. Um, but basically they, um, the board game operation, you know, the one where you've got the tweezers and you've got to remove the... The parts. Right, with, without touching the edge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they basically um, had, they did a study where they had men and women um, competing at the game of Operation and they played different music to them while doing it. And what they found is that um, men became more distracted and made a lot more mistakes when they listened to ACDC um, compared to Mozart. So if they put Mozart in, men were fine. Uh, if they put ACDC on, Operation was a complete nightmare. Um, but conversely, they found on women having music on made no effect. Huh. So the men put ACDC on, they're fucked. Well, women um, actually had no effect, and the women actually performed better at the game than the men did. Um, Just overall. It, overall. And it's thought that the rock music may cause some sort of auditory stress in men rather than in women that affects them their, their concentration. Um, so. Yeah, interesting. It was a very quick study. It was basically, what I really like, it was basically a bunch of scientists who thought, let's just do this in our spare time. So it was literally conducting their spare time um, as part of the, some wider research they're doing on music and performance. Um, right. And what they're looking at is actually music in an, operate, in an actual operating theatre. So if you watch a lot of medical dramas, you know, quite often the surgeon will have a mixtape playing in the background. Yeah. Um, so they're actually doing some research on on that. Um but yeah, I thought that was interesting, actually. I'd love to then try it with different genres of music, see if that makes a difference. But, mm-hmm. uh, and and it, it, I guess it's, you know, it's it's the motor task is basically what we're, what we're saying is affected is this fine motor skill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. Well, and there's studies out there, isn't there? I know there are studies out there showing, depending on the music you have playing in the car, is your driving style. So it's not, you know, a massive leap to then go, well, yeah, this is having an impact on some of the fine motor skills as well. But uh, yeah, 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 just I, I, I find it interesting that, that it didn't the music had no effect on women at all. Uh, yeah, I guess it proves the age old uh, thing as uh, that uh, women are boring and don't like rock music. Right. Right. Is that it? Well, don't people just... say that? That's just alienated most of our listenerships. So uh, <laughs> no, no, we don't start at all. Flash. Oh, 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 just me. Oh, that's, I mean, I just that's just what I heard. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> you repeat. Obviously, you I don't think that. Too late now, Flash. You know, you're like Trump. <laughs> so I'm calling you Trump from here on in, rather yeah. than. Uh, but if I was Flash. Trump, then I would just I wouldn't say obviously I don't think that I would just go well, well you know maybe yeah did I say that who knows yeah. waving your small hands around yeah 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 so so today's been a mammoth episode okay so I'm going to quickly roll up where we've been and then I'm going to give a a quick shout out to something that's uh, been in the news over here today so uh, where have we been today we've we've learned that uh, effectively all drugs could be legal at some point. 
should be legal. Well, could have, <laughs> would have, should have. Um, but, you know, tests are ongoing. Who knows? Watch this space. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, there's a chance that we could all be found guilty at birth. So basically, you know, delivered in the delivery suite, judge and jury at the end of the room. Well, I'm just glad that they didn't have those kind of this kind of knowledge when I was born. Well, <laughs> I feel bad for the for the children coming into the world that are going to be typecast, basically. But uh, at least I was able to live as a unique little butterfly uh, that was had all the free will and could make my own choices and was in charge of my own destiny. And you, well, you you certainly are a butterfly, Flash. That's that's such a beautiful way to uh, unique. Little butterfly. Well, yeah. So yeah. You, you've basically stayed stayed in the larval pupil stages for the majority <laughs> of your life, and then a big flourish at the end, and you'll be burnt out within twenty minutes. So you calling me a pupa, man? Are you calling me a pupa? Well, come here and do something <laughs> about it if you want. Uh, Robocop is coming, but let's yeah, just hope yeah, it's yeah. the Robocop version, not the Ed Two Hundred Nine version. Yeah, right. Of course. Um, and uh, just something that you. I can't even remember which which segment it is you threw in, but uh, I wrote down the line: uh, "Scientists want to crack nuts," <laughs> and I think we'll just leave that there. So, uh, episode eleven has been a fun one. I think we've 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 gone from start to finish. We, you know, as a, as we alluded to earlier to the listeners, we've had a, a massive preamble as well. So it's actually been like a two hour marathon. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of a lot of material to sift through. But uh, yeah, yeah. So before we go, I just want to mention um, another Bradley that's in the news, uh, and it's because the name is Bradley that, that caught my news. So a five-year-old boy over here in the UK that has um, a rare form of neuroblastoma, uh, basically a brain tumor. Um, it's been diagnosed as terminal, but by all accounts, um, Bradley Lowry, his name is, he really enjoys opening Christmas cards. Um, so a Facebook account started basically asking people to send him Christmas cards. Um, it started a few days ago and today, um, the post office van arrived with 11,000 Christmas cards in. Um, some had donations towards some treatment that, um, maybe I'd help him. Others had gifts. Others were just cards. Um, you can look him up on Twitter or his family up on Twitter. It's at Bradley's Fight. Uh, on Twitter, and it basically, if you follow that through, it gives the address. So I didn't. I know we have a lot of international listeners, um, and I think you know, given the time of year, I think it'd just be quite nice to sort of get on board with this. And I'm writing my Christmas cards this weekend, so I'm going to write one for for Bradley and stick in the post as a as a fellow Brad. Wow, wow, wow! I, you know, my thoughts and 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 feelings and whatnot go out to a fellow Brad as well and uh, it's a bit of a sad story but if this can uh, add a bit of cheer to the young man's life then yeah, yeah. Why, it's a it's a it's a good thing get on with the Christmas spirit um so and it back, gives the post it gives the post office something to do well exactly it keeps them in jobs before the robots <laughs> take their jobs that's, right because that's, that's what coming. I'm trying to do that well we yeah. know that is coming or well, they'll have cyborg robot people delivering our mail yeah, c- cyborg uh, male slingers. They can just, yeah. like, from the truck, just yeah, never mind laser drones. it right into the, yeah. Cyborg mailman. Um, so thank you, listeners. Uh, this has been episode 11. If you want to get in touch, we implore you. We will be coming at you soon with the predictions for 2017. So keep mm-hmm. sending those in. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, uh, it's at 2 brad for you. Uh, I always said dot com then but it's not it's just at yeah. too bad for you uh if you want to get in touch with myself it's at bradley w hayes and my co-partner over here 
co-partner, you mean uh, host extraordinaire and producer and editor and uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll think of a few more later, um, is, well, what was I doing, Twitter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, you picked it up big time there, my friend. <laughs> the good thing is you're in production, so you'll just edit that. And it'll be seamless. <laughs> no, and the listeners will even, never know that you screwed that I, up. I, I couldn't even be bothered to do that. Um, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's at B Van Paradon. Uh, and we have a, I'm working on a, a, a webpage for at too bad for you.com. It's not what it is. Don't go there. <laughs> we don't, <laughs> we don't have that domain yet. We, we've um, lost all the listeners. They've gone. <laughs> no. It's 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 currently a WordPress page. So it's too bad for you. WordPress.com. If you if you get a chance and you check it out, it's you know all the episodes are there. Uh, we'll add more to it. We'll be building on it. Uh, thoughts, feedback, everything is be, would be lovely. Um, if anybody has the time to do that, um, it takes you five ten seconds. So time is not an excuse. Don't be an arse. Help us out. Get on with it. Well, nothing left to say other than catch you next time, bro. Catch you next time. Catch the listeners next time. Thanks a lot, man. It's been a blast. Uh, We'll see you on the flip side. Take care. I think the, the the brain story that I have, I think, has a, has a lot of space for discussion. So maybe I and I don't know. Actually, I guess I'm presuming that yours doesn't. But <laughs> um, which is stupid of me. So actually, I don't know. I have. I have no, no, no let's, let's do that. Let's go. Me, bit of Mandy, uh, then your brains, uh, and then. So the, the Schro- well, the Schrodinger cat comes from the top ten physics discoveries of 2016. Right. So that then goes. Speaking of brainy people. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's that's a that's a terrible. But fuck you. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, like cheesy, like you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you think this is anything other than cheese, my friend, I implore you to listen back to the previous ten episodes. <laughs> You might think this is science, but never in a million years. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was hard-hitting journalism. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Fuck me. Larry King, move over.